This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m., or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m., or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. Now, we've been talking about, for seven weeks, about high ground. And uh, it was a phenomenal uh, study, at least as it was for me. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I believe that I could preach every lesson for the rest of my life and title it The High Ground. Because everything in the Bible that builds our faith and strengthens us and enables us to learn his ways and all has to do with us reaching the high ground uh, and, and having a great advantage over our enemy through that. But uh, we're going to change today. And uh, you, you've already seen the title, I Belong. And, and that's my statement, I belong to him. Uh, I, I do. I know that. And that's a, a reality to me. And I've, I've been thinking about a wee fifth. And I got up this morning with it on my mind, a song on my mind. It's a, it's a much more technical, tactical, you know, in-depth kind of a song. But it was in my mind, and I tried to sing it this morning, you know, when I was taking a shower and things, and I'm going to try to sing it now, okay? And I'm not sure how I'll do that, but uh, you can support me in it if, if you want to. And it goes like, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, little wants to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. And it goes, yes, Jesus loves me, for the Bible tells me so. But I was singing that song this morning. It was just kind of popping up out of me, you know, a real deep song, you know. But it says, little ones to him belong. I'm going like, that's what I'm talking about. That's awesome. You know, so I do belong to him. And hopefully you do as well, or you're a challenge. And given the opportunity to belong to him. Let me give you the definition of the word belonging. Belonging means acceptance as a member or a part. You know, acceptance. If, if I belong, I've been accepted as a member, you know, as a part. Um, such a simple word for such a huge concept, belong. Huge concept. It's life-changing for men and women, when all of a sudden they really, it becomes a reality that they belong, you know. A sense of belonging is a human need, just like the need for food and water and shelter. Feeling that you belong is most important in seeing value in your life and in coping with intensely painful emotions. Knowing that you belong, it helps us. It does transform and it changes our life. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 5, it says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. You know that's the only way to get to the Father. It's the only way to get to heaven. That's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said it in John 14. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father in heaven except through me. So we see that right here. And it says, 
verse 5 again, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That is what he wanted to do. You know God's crazy about you. He wants you in a relationship with him. That's what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. He loves you. Verse 6 says, So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us. Y'all understand poured out, right? Y'all been around here long enough to see me define the word poured out? You know, poured out is like this. You know what I'm saying? But that's not the way God pours. God, when he pours it out, he just pours it out. You know what I'm saying? Now, I know you. some of you guys may want to kneel around the altar at the end of the service. Just probably bypass this little spot right here. It's kind of wet, you know. Um, but uh, hang on a second. It says right here, so you get the full impact of this. It says, uh, so we praise God for the glorious grace. And you understand that grace, lots of times we think of it as merely unmerited favor. And a lot of people have no clue what unmerited means or favor, what it means and all. But it is a good biblical definition. But a better biblical definition is God's enabling power. He enables us to do what you can't do in your own human strength. But it says right here, so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong. My question is, do you belong to him? And he's talking about those who've been accepted. Now, he wants to accept us all, but he won't force us to accept him as our Savior and our, and our Lord. He, he gives us the opportunity. We're free moral agents. We can choose him or, or, or not. But he says that so we praise God for the glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. So, do we belong? He, he accepts us, but do we accept him as our Savior? And the choice genuinely is ours. We have to make that decision. And a, uh, another definition of grace, to really understand it fully, as you study it out in the uh, different original languages it was written in, the grace, it gives this uh, illustration, if, if you would, like, Grace is like the waves of the sea. You know, there's always another wave. Now, how many waves have come in to the shore since you've been alive? Bunch of them. How many do you think will come in after you're gone? It'll still be going on, won't it? And that is the definition of, of grace. There's always another wave of God's grace. That's why we call it amazing grace. It's just another wave of his grace that comes in and, and washes over us. And, and a God that we serve is not the God of a second chance. He is the God of another chance, used up the second one a long time ago. And there's another wave that rolls in and covers us over, and it pours out over us. So verse 6 says, So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us, who belong to his dear son. Verse 7 says, He is so rich in kindness and grace. There's another wave. 
that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and he forgave our sins. There is no forgiveness. We will carry our sins with us always until we belong to Jesus because he's paid for our sins in full. He doesn't want us carrying any guilt or any shame or condemnation at all. He wants us to be free. That's why Jesus went to the cross for us. Now, uh, you know, we announced today during announcements that we have a baptism, a water baptism here this Saturday night, immediately after the, the lesson and all. And uh, that's really what we're talking about here. The uh, um, water baptism is, is talking about who you belong to. It's a demonstration. Lots of times I have a brown paper bag here that I'll use an illustration out of. Water baptism is an illustration. It illustrates what has happened. You know, and there's a, a tank right under here. And what happens is when we're baptized, we're acting out what we believe as Jesus died on the cross, we identify with him that we've died to our old sinful nature. When we've accepted him into our life, we've died to our old sinful nature. When we go into the water, what you're doing is you're acting out being buried. You know, now anybody remember how long Jesus was buried? So when we baptize you, we don't keep you under for three days. <laughs> Only three minutes, okay. No, that's a joke. It's a joke. It's just a nanosecond, okay. Well, that's what it's acting out. It's acting out that I've died to my old sinful nature. I've been buried with Christ. That's what the scripture says. We've been buried with him in baptism, and therefore we have risen with him. So as we come up out of the water, we, we are reminded of that resurrection power that is available to each and every one of us. So we will have a water baptism this coming Saturday. Now, if you've never been water baptized, it is a great thing. I know when I was baptized in water, I, see, I didn't know because I was sprinkled earlier on in my life as well. And uh, baptism only benefits you once you know uh, Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now, at what age can you know that? You know, some people say, well, you got to be 12 years old or something like that. I don't believe that. Our son, who actually has been pastoring his own church for about five years now, uh, was baptized around three years old because he genuinely knew Jesus at that age. There's not a place in the Bible that says you have to be a certain age, but we're free moral agents. And when we know Christ and we love him and we accept him into our life, that's what we're talking about. Otherwise, it is a dedication. And that's all biblical, you know, to dedicate your children to God, which we do that as well. But that's not water baptism, you see. Baptism is something we do, and we act it out. I've died to my sinful nature. I've been buried with Christ, and I have risen to that resurrection power in my life right now. So that's available to you. Uh, and if you're interested in, in baptism, you can put it on your uh, Connections card or tell the folks at the Connections desk or just show up at the last minute. And when I say anybody else want to get baptized, just come on. You know, we'll do that too. We probably hold you under longer if you do it that way. <laughs> just teasing, okay? Just teasing, okay. All right, let me see. Where am I at? Uh, Socrates said, There is no possession more valuable than a good and a faithful friend. How many of you here would 
say genuinely that you have a good and a faithful friend? It's awesome. There's nothing more valuable than that. I, I, I agree with what he said. In Proverbs 18.24, it says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. I've had quite a few people tell me, Pastor Ron, I don't know why I've come to church. I've been to other churches, and, and people just aren't friendly. I'm going, I think I can help you with that. You know. <laughs> it says a man who has friends must himself be friendly. So what must we do to find a friend? Be friendly and not just demand other people to be friendly to me. But it says, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I believe he is referring to the, as, to the Christ, you know, who shall come. And he is closer than a brother. Um, Francis Bacon said, a joy shared is a double joy. Can you understand that? You know, if I'm going to get out there. If I'm going to catch me, a, I'm going to up it a little bit, a 14-pound largemouth bass, you know. It's like awesome. But if I have a friend with me, he sees me reel that rascal in, it's like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And we'll get together for the rest of my life, and we'll high-five, say, you remember when I caught that? And they're going, I remember. A good thing, a joy, is twice as good when you got somebody to share it with, right? It genuinely is. Well, Francis Bacon said a joy shared is a double joy, and a sorrow shared is only half the sorrow. When you go through a difficulty in life, to have someone's shoulder to lean upon and to cry upon and to pray with and, and, and uh, help carry your burdens, the sorrow is only half as bad as if you had to carry it alone. You know what I'm saying? So we really need to belong to Christ, but we need to, to belong to the body of Christ as well. Mark Twain said, to get the full value out of joy, you must have someone to share it with. Now, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, it says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. Two are better off than one because they can help each other to succeed. Now, that reminds me of a time many, many years ago. Uh, you know, when I was growing up as a kid, even up to the time I moved to Connecticut, the idea of buying a Christmas tree was foreign to me. Lord, we just lift up that emergency vehicle that we hear right now. Going to help somebody might be somebody we know. And we just ask that you help those first responders to get there and to offer the assistance and, and meet those needs and draw them all closer to you today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, but Susan... And I, when we came up here, we didn't know you buy Christmas trees. Always got to the fields and the forest. Now, there are not as many fields and forests that you can just get to driving down the interstate and, and, and places like that. And, but for quite a few years of us first being here, we cut down our own Christmas tree. And don't worry about it. We didn't cut down any that already had lights on them, okay, or anything like that. <laughs> Might have been tempted, but I didn't ever do that. But we did cut down a, a couple of trees that were very, very sparse, you know. I mean, Charlie Brown probably would not have accepted them as his tree. You know, they were pretty sparse, the, uh, you know, with the limbs and the branches. But what we did when we got home, 
I took a, a pair of some pliers, some nips that I had, and I put a wire around the base of the two trees, and I wired them together really tight, and then I wired it together up uh, higher and back down a little bit, and those two sparsely, you know, uh, limbed trees became a beautiful Christmas tree. They really belonged together, you know, and they succeeded by belonging together. And I believe that was the year that we actually then cut out about halfway up. We cut out a little hole in the Christmas tree like this, and we inserted, we made it ourselves a um, little um, manger scene. Thank you, dear, a manger scene. And if, it was fantastic. It was the best Christmas tree we've ever had, I'm sure. But the two were so much more successful than the one would have been. Let me read that verse once again. It says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. As those trees helped each other succeed. Um, Benjamin Franklin, he formed a support group of very brilliant people, and he called it my most ingenious friends group. That group got together, and they would write papers and discuss them. They would discuss questions that help each other in their careers and goals. And they met every Friday night for 40 years. That's something, isn't it? They met every Friday night for 40 years. Franklin was still accomplishing things in his 80s and 90s. Why? Because he had a support group that kept him growing. He belonged. And it's something spectacular to belong in such a horrible, horrible thing when you feel like you don't belong nowhere, you know. That's why kids uh, in a lot of the cities, they'll join a gang because they're just so empty and they, they want to belong to something, you know. Thomas Edison had a support group called My Mastermind Alliance. For peop uh, he, he put people uh, with similar life missions together with him and that group in a six-year period, came up with over 300 patented inventions. They were averaging one minor invention every six weeks and one major invention every six months. Henry Ford said, my best friend is the one who brings out the best in me. See, belonging it is so valuable. It's so important. It's so necessary. Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 said, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. Verse 10 says, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Now, if you're going to have to take a trip somewhere, travel, you know, just a few miles, would you rather travel by unicycle or bicycle <laughs> a bicycle is going to be a whole lot more effective and traveling now unicycle is good if you're doing a little thing at the circus you know and you're juggling and you're riding around circles but it's not really designed for much travel two wheels are better than one when it comes to that so they belong together they they succeed a lot better you know, and, and God doesn't want us to be alone. He wants us to be long because that's what he created us for. He created us 
that way. You know, verse 11 says, likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? Now, many of you heard me tell this story, but I'm just going to give you just a little brief reminder. Our son, Judah, who is a pastor now, he, uh, a few years ago, quite a few years ago, maybe it was uh, a few years ago, 20 years ago or something uh, like that, if he had been alone in the woods in this particular time, he would have died. And he'd asked me if I wanted to go camping with him and, and a friend, and I said, buddy, I'm, I'm just busy. I just don't have the time to do it. But at the last moment, I said, you know, I think I will go with you guys. And we drove, didn't get there until dark, hiked in really, you know, in the darkness to where we were going to camp for the night and all. And it was like really cold weather, a lot colder than we anticipated it was going to be. And his water bottle, this like a platypus thing, it's a, a hydration bag, kind of like a camelback thing, uh, it, it cracked open during the sleeping because it was so cold we put him in our sleeping bag to keep him from freezing solid but it opened it got him wet during the night and he uh, was stricken with hypothermia and if it hadn't have been you know that we were there he would have died and, and that's not an exaggeration I've, I'd called tried to give people information where we were at as time progressed there were People walking and hiking, people on quads, ambulance were coming, helicopters were in there trying to find us. Finally, an ambulance got to us down a long dirt road and was able to get to us. By that time, you know, by putting him and his buddy Jonathan in the same sleeping bag, you know, and, and doing all that I could and praying, you know, over a period of time, he revived. Without somebody, if he had been alone, he would not have survived. So this passage, it means something special to me when it says, likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. How can one be warm alone? And that's the cure of hypothermia. You put two people in a sleeping bag and you get them, you know, sharing that body heat, you can revive them. It goes on with verse 12. It says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back, you know, back to back and conquer. Three or even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And uh, every wedding I've ever done, I'll pull out a little uh, pink ribbon and say, this represents the bride. And here's this blue one. It represents the, the groom. And here's a red one that represents Jesus. And I'll braid them together. Twisting the blue and pink together, they'll fall apart. But when you add the third one, that red one, you can braid it, tie a knot in it and it will stand the test of time. That wasn't my card on that. <laughs> I don't think. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning. Wait, let me, before I read that passage, has anybody here ever been to and seen with your very own eyes the redwood trees, those giant wood, redwood trees. Awesome. I've never been there, but I want to go one day. But I've seen them online. You know, it's like absolutely amazing. And, you know, redwood trees uh, can grow. Well, you know our steeple outside when you come in? Our steeple is 90 foot tall. That's pretty. I painted it by myself one time with ropes. I did that, you know. Uh, and it 
looks higher than 90 foot when you're up there looking down. It does. <laughs> but redwood trees can grow up to 300 foot. That's over three times taller than our steeple. That's, that's amazing. And redwood trees, the average redwood tree can weigh a million pounds. A million pounds. And I did a little research, although I haven't seen them with my own eyes. I've studied them and I've read them and seen the pictures of them. You can look it up. One of the largest redwood trees was known as the Lindsay Creek Redwood. And it was estimated to weigh over 4 million pounds. That, that's, that's pretty serious, you know. It's about the weight of the Saturn V rocket, you know, 4 million pounds, you know. Now, you would think to be that tall, over three times as tall as our steeple, you know, and two, three million pounds, you know, the averages are like a million pounds tall. You would think, would you not, that that root structure must be like 300 foot in the ground or something or, or deeper. But the roots of a redwood tree go down about five foot. I'm not I'm just telling you the truth. Now you got to understand, I'm 5'10. <laughs> so probably somewhere around here down will be about five foot. And that's as deep as a redwood tree roots go. I, I'm, that's just the truth of it. You know, 300 foot tall, couple million pounds in weight, and its roots only go five foot deep. But a redwood tree never grows alone. And although its roots only go down five foot, they go out 125 foot. You know, the sanctuary is about 40 foot long. So if each one of them has this root base, it's just this structure that goes way out, but they never grow alone. And all these other redwood trees that are growing around them send out 125 foot, you know, root structure, about five foot deep. So they're all grown together. Unless you see where they've gone in and they cut them all down and there's one over there by itself, they all grow together and they make this net, this mesh, that's all grown together. So you'll see a forest and it has this root structure. You could never, ever separate it. They're all grown in together, and to blow one over, it had to be to blow them all over. And rarely does a redwood tree ever get toppled in a storm. It's pretty amazing. See, they belong together. They survive. They succeed together. It says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And then he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. And then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. And God called the space sky. 
And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. And God called the dry ground land and the waters cease. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed bearing plant and trees that grow seed bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. And the land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees and seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the third day. Then God said, let Great lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them mark off the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth, and that is what happened. God made two great lights, the sun and the moon, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars, and God set these lights in the sky to light the earth to govern the day and night, and to separate the lights from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fourth day. And then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life, and let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the waters, and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and let the fish fill the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind. Livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals and that is what happened. And God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like ourselves. Now you got to think here. He said, we are made in the image of God, able to think and to reason, and to plan, and to dream, and to feel, and to choose, and to create, and, and to love. I mean, it's being made in the image of God is about relationships, is what he's talking about. Connecting with and in, enjoying the awesome divine community, if you would. Connecting and enjoying not only God, but the family of God. I'm talking about kind of like the redwood trees, you know. Going to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says... And then the Lord God said, it is, what's that word? It is not good for the man to be alone. Hmm. But it is good for man to belong. It's not good for him. First time in the Bible, God said something was not good. It's not good for man to be alone. God wants man to belong. Man was created not only to connect with, with God, but to connect with the family of God. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like ourselves. 
They will reign over the fish. That's what I'm talking about. Fishing season's just a little bit away, and they will reign. They'll have power, and, and they'll govern the fish, you know? Oh, I digress. I better get back to what I'm talking about here. It says they'll reign over the fish in the sea. I do like that, though. And the birds in the sky. I'm talking about ducks and pheasants and grouse and geese and turkeys. Oh, I'm sorry. I better get back to what I'm supposed to be talking about here. And they will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and the livestock, and all the wild animals of the earth. I mean, you know, my deer and bear and... I'm, I'm sorry. Now, every animal I'm talking about, I have harvested, and I've eaten these things before, just so you know. You guys go to the grocery store. As a kid, I'd go to the woods. You know what I'm saying? Same thing, you know. Anyhow, where were we there? All the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. I forgot the small animals. I went to about rabbits and squirrels and possums and groundhogs and raccoons and, you know, all kinds of critters. I mean, we've eaten snapping. And I've eaten all these animals before. Is that okay? It said small animals. I've eaten chipmunks, too. <laughs> a chipmunk is a pretty rat, is all it is. <laughs> it will gnaw the insulation off your wires in your attic, and it will dig into things and make a terrible mess. But it takes about 25 of them to make a meal out of it, okay? <laughs> Anyhow, let's get back to where we were talking about. It says here in verse 27, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. And then God blessed him and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it and reign over the fish. That's what I'm talking about. Reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all, the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. And then God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good, except to be alone was not good. He saw that it was very good, and evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. First thing God ever said wasn't good. And he said, it's not good not to belong. He says, it's not good to be alone. But, but it's so much better to belong. Romans chapter 12, verse 4, it says, just as our bodies have many parts, you know, many parts, you know. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. You understand what the body of Christ is? It's people. It's all of us together who believe in Christ. We make up the body of Christ. And it says, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong where? To each other. We all belong to, to each other. Like redwood trees. We can't stand alone. Not when the storms of life come. We belong to each other. We need each other. We will succeed together where we would not be successful all alone. That's just the way it is. 
you know. John 15, 7 says, and Jesus says, but if you remain in me in relationship with him, he says, if you remain in me and my word remains in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. That's amazing. That's, that's an amazing promise that Jesus gave us. If we belong to him and we're connected with him and with the rest of the body of Christ and his word is remaining intertwined in our being, we can ask what we will and it shall be done. Now for the last two, three weeks, I've been chewing on a, a scripture. I came across this scripture and I was reading it and it was just so inspiring to me personally. I probably shared it with several of you. You know, if, if uh, you've communicated with me at some point, I probably sent it to you and, and uh, you know, uh, encouraged you to chew it over a little bit. But this is an awesome passage. If I can find it. Let me see here. Okay, and it's Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And this is uh, in the Message Bible. It says, it says, are you tired? Question mark. Worn out? Question mark. Burned out on religion? You understand religion is just a, a bunch of rules and regulations with no relationship. That's religion. You know, when God wants us to have relationship with him, not just a bunch of rules and regulations. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? And he says, come to me. Get away with me. This is Jesus talking to you. He says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Now, I've read that so many times in the last three weeks. And there's something I learn from it every time I chew on a little bit. It's a verse worth chewing on a while. Matthew 11, 28 through 30 in the Message Bible. Talking about belonging, being connected with him, having a relationship with him. Um, one of the most remembered American speeches of the 20th century was a plea for all human beings to be able to eat together at the same table of fellowship, to join hands and sing a common song. And we don't have time right now to show, but you can look it up. It's a video clip of Martin Luther King Jr. as he was uh, giving his little message about, I have a dream. And so <clears throat> this dream was his dream, but it's really the dream of every man you know, uh, and woman, and it's the dream of God. But I'm just going to read you that little short paragraph of the part that was relevant here. And he says, I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. Hmm. Where all those differences, those things that divided us, don't matter what color shirt you wear or what color skin you got, you know, but we belong to each other. We belong to Christ and we belong to the body of Christ. We belong together and we need to have that harmony and that unity because no one can really be successful at life all alone. It's not good for a man to be alone, but it is very good for him to be long. There's no pain quite like the pain 
of not belonging. And that's why a lot of young folks in the cities and all, they get involved with gangs because they can't bear the concept of just being all alone. They, they do all kinds of crazy things just to belong. And sometimes those things are not very good for them. Mother uh, Teresa said, loneliness is the leprosy of our modern society. Loneliness is the leprosy of our modern society. And no one wants anybody to know that they're a leper. So a lot of people, they look happy, they seem okay, but deep down on the inside, they're just empty and hollow. They genuinely are, because they're alone. And, and, and being alone is not necessarily that good for us, but to belong, to belong to Christ, to belong to the body of Christ. Just like the redwood trees, we do so much better when we belong than we do when we are just alone. We see many of the great uh, friendships in the Bible. Here's just a few, Abraham and Sarah, Moses and Aaron, Joshua and Caleb, David and Jonathan, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Peter and John, Paul and Silas, you know, Barnabas and Mark, and, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. But their stories would be a lot different if they had not a friend. If they tried to do the things that they did on their own, the stories would have come out all different. Mark chapter 3, verse 13 says, And he, Jesus, he goeth up into a mountain, and he called unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve to go out and preach, right? It says he, he ordained twelve that they should be with him. Not to go out and preach. He ordained them to have relationship with him first. And then he might send them out to preach. He says he ordained 12 that they should be with him, you know, talking about to belong, and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. You know, out of the 12 disciples that Jesus had, there was a, an inner circle of three, you know, and then there was one disciple that was the best friend of Jesus than all the others. His name was John. He was referred to in the book of John as the beloved. And as Jesus hung on the cross and he looked down and his mom was out there watching him being crucified. And right before he died, there was John, the disciple, standing there. And Jesus said to John, John, behold, your mother. And he said to his mama, he said, mama, behold, your son. What he was saying is, John, take care of my mama. Okay. And that's what he did. See. They belonged. There was, there was a, a connection to take care of her once Jesus had given up uh, his life there. Um, well, if Jesus needed friends, and in the Garden of Gethsemane, he told the disciples to go and they would pray together and all. If Jesus needed friends to get his stuff done, I think we need friends as well. So why do so many people like deep, intimate friendship Deep, intimate relationships. Our lifestyle often doesn't promote close, close friendships where we're busy people with very little time. We allow the urgent to crowd out the important. There's a little article. It's called The Tyranny of the Urgent. It's a good read that lots of times what happens, the urgent is seldom important, and the important is seldom urgent. When you get something that's urgent and important, well, you deal with it right away. But sometimes we get caught up in all that. We don't have time 
to develop friendships. I know for the last two years of my life, I have lived by a, a concept that uh, I am to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my life. So if I used to be overscheduled all the time. And I would get for many years of my early days of ministry, you know, four, maybe five hours of sleep. I need eight now, you know. I really do. And uh, throughout my day, I, I need to be stress-free. How many of you guys would like the idea of being stress-free, you know? <laughs> ruthlessly, ruthlessly eliminate hurry. It's just like I can't do all those things today. I wish I could, but I just can't. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our life, and we'll do much better. You know, uh, we're a small talk society, to be honest with you. We talk about the weather, sports, hobbies, politics, movies, you know. But we actually, if we start talking about anything that's more personal, we kind of break into hives and like, I got to go, you know. <laughs> we're a fast food people, aren't we? We want everything right now, you know. But sometimes we just, we just don't have time to develop relationships. So the requirement for a close, intimate relationships is, is chunks of unhurried time. It is, you know, it's chunks of unhurried time that we need, you know. So you can't fit deep community into the cracks of a overloaded schedule. Uh, wise people don't try to microwave friendships. You don't get community in a hurry. You can't listen in a hurry. You can't mourn in a hurry with those who mourn. You can't rejoice in a Hurry with those who rejoice. Many people lack great friends for that simple reason. They never made pursuing community a high priority. Developing friendships is risky, though, and you probably discovered that. It's risky to be open and honest. You know, let someone inside. Allow someone close enough to see the real you because they might hurt you. And I'm just going to ask you a favor. Don't hurt me just because I've eaten chipmunks, okay? <laughs> I've opened up and I've told you a lot about me that you might not know. So don't hurt me because I was open and I shared with you my heart, all right? Awesome. They are delicious, to be honest with you. Know? Okay. Uh, most of us have been burned in the past. And I'll tell you, me and Susan in the... You know, 40 years that we've been in ministry together, we've been burned a lot. If you can see the spiritual scars, we've been burned a lot, and we've uh, figured out how Jesus dealt with that and just keep moving forward because that's just part of the price we pay to be alive, you know. Um, but let me share something with you about David. Now, David uh, had been hurt. He really had. But if you, because you're hurt, if you don't have relationships, if you don't belong anymore, it hurts you far worse than someone has hurt you, you know, and so forth. Um, he says here in Psalms 55, verse 6, he says, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. Oh, I forgot to tell you about doves. They are awesome. <laughs> they really are. You can't eat them in Connecticut. It's against the law to shoot a dove in Connecticut. But in South Carolina, you can eat all you want, you know. Oh, I digress again. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Mm, it's getting lunchtime too, though. It says, oh, that I had wings like a dove, and then I would fly away and, be, and, and, and I'd rest. I would fly far away to the quiet of the wilderness. Oh, that has such an appeal to it, you know. And then it says interlude, which means stop and think about that. 
Verse 8 says, how quickly I would escape far from the wild storm of hatred. And David was telling you that there was hatred, you know, levied against him. You know, he knew what it was like to be hated. And then we just pop down to verse 12. It says, it is not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It is not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion, and close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. See, it's talking about when someone who's close to you burns you. Oh, how bad it is. But you can't become hardened because of it. You got to do what Jesus did and forgive. You say, well, Jesus don't know what that's like. Out of his 12 disciples, he had one who burned him. He had one who really stuck it to him. Remember what his name was? Judas. Judas Iscariot. And Jesus forgave as he's forgiven all of us. So some folks choose to be a, a lone ranger when in reality we just need to belong. And the truth of it is, uh, it's not really, being a lone ranger is not really what they want to do. People who are a lone ranger, it just seems to be safer. Because when you tell people you eat chipmunks, they might hurt you. But the truth of it is we've all been hurt and we need to forgive the way God does and we need to understand we need to belong, you know. Uh, We need to settle. No, we need to not settle for the life of the lowlands, but instead we need to risk the climb, you know, the climb to the high ground of true relationships. That's where the disciples went to follow Jesus when he called them to follow him and all. Well, in Romans chapter 15, verse 7, it says, Therefore... Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. Hmm. And and Christ has accepted us just the way we are. He don't leave us that way. He helps to facilitate us to become more and more like him. But we belong to him and he accepts us just the way we are. And then he uh, facilitates that change. And it says, therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. And accept means that you belong. When he has accepted us, it means we belong to him and it says therefore accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory see true friends love when things are going well and true friends love when it seems that they may never go well again true friends are going to love anyhow you know because you belong you're connected together the North American Indians word for the word friend is One who carries my sorrows on his back. That's a true friend. And Jesus has surely carried our sins. He carried it all for us so we can be forgiven. And we need to be that kind of a friend to other people. Almost done. Proverbs 17, 17. In the message it says, friends love through all kinds of weather. And families stick together in all kinds of trouble. You know, like the redwood trees do. When the storms come, we got to stick together even closer, you know. John 15, 13, last verse we're going to look at here today. It says, this is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do, because at this time of the year, it's probably the time of the year, if someone's going to go to church, 
they're probably going to go at Easter. But some people don't know where to go, although they would like to, but they don't know where to go. And if we were to get out of our comfort zone and we were to become a risk taker and we were to invite a friend and everybody, whether they acknowledge it or not, they have this God-sized hole in their life and they're empty and they're hollow. They may seem to be the life of the party, but from there alone, they know that there's something missing. And I would challenge all of us to get out of our comfort zone and to reach out and to invite someone to come to a, a uh, celebrate the resurrection service where we can talk about Christ who forgives and gives us another chance where we find about that resurrection power is available to us all. But if we'll get out of our comfort zone and we'll invite a friend if you don't have a friend, well, then go and make a friend. I've had several people introduce themselves to me. And I said, well, how would you find out about the church? And they say, hey, a couple of days ago, so-and-so invited me to come to for no special service either. So-and-so invited me to come to church. And I did. And they came to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. Some have come right from a service station or a grocery store or across the street from Dunkin' Donuts. They've come and say, hey. A friend, you know, someone who met me, I got to know them. They invited me to come. So this is the biggie out of the year. You know, the Easter time is one of the biggest. And people who are looking for something, they got this God-shaped hole in them. They're, they don't necessarily feel like they really belong, not on a spiritual level to God at all, you know. But if we were to get out of our comfort zone and invite them out maybe to lunch afterwards or you fix the lunch or you're going to take them out or whatever. But you know what? It would change your life for eternity if we were to get out of our comfort zone because we know we're connected and we belong. And like the redwood trees, we're, we succeed because we are connected, because we do belong. Let's get out and touch other people's lives. Let God use you to be an encouragement and to give hope and to fill that God-shaped hole in their life by coming to know him in a real personal way. Well, our time is up, so I'd like to, uh, to pray, and then we'll dismiss. Father, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus. I ask your blessings upon the men, the women, the boys and girls in this building and those who are watching online. Lord, I ask that you just reveal yourself to each and every one. And may we all want to belong to you. May we all want to belong to the body of Christ, although we are imperfect and we can hurt each other, but help us to see things from your perspective, almighty God. As our heads are bowed for just another moment, I'd like you to pray with me to reaffirm your faith in Christ. And maybe you don't really have a relationship with him yet. You don't really sense that you really belong as of yet. Well, I invite you to pray a prayer to accept him because he's already accepted you. So, or reaffirm your faith for, you know, that you have probably done before. Can we pray together right now? Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. And I believe you've got plans for my life. And I thank you that Jesus gave his life for me. And he washed all my sins away. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And he's knocking at the door of my heart. And I welcome Jesus into my life. And I am sorry for my sinful ways. And I am determined to live the rest of my life for you. Use me, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.